Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. He and I uh, was looking at the schedule here um, yesterday, and we talked about it before we started recording today. I don't hold out a lot of hope for many victories based on the schedule that I'm seeing. It just, I don't think there's really anything for Broncos country to grab onto as far as being excited about the upcoming games. So unlike a certain left tackle, you're loosely holding on to the schedule and not finding many wins at all. I think the most that you came up with for the whole season, so all 16, four. the most you came up with was four. Yeah, four. Four. I, it, I tried to grab more games as I went through the schedule, like I was – I was grasping for more games, but they just kept slipping through my fingers. I couldn't hold on to them as wins. And so, so like if we run down the schedule here, and I'm going to skip the Packers game because we're going to talk about it, but just just based on on what we're seeing here, we talked about the Jaguars uh, coming up in a couple weeks, and and I said I didn't think they could win that game. You said you thought they could. Let's give them that win. Let's let's just pretend they win that game somehow. I don't think they beat the Chargers on the road. I don't even though it will be a road game or uh, it will be a road game home game. Right. It's which is it's hard to sort of get that out because it is it's a home game on the road just like the Bears had in Denver. Uh ooh, was that too soon? No. Okay. I think that was something that we failed to mention in the post game podcast, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Well, I just think it's it, and I, I let's let's hang on a second. Before let's let's take a pause here on the schedule talk. I mentioned it to you in the in the pregame show in our preview, uh, and I asked you if it was going to be a bit of a repeat of that of that uh, 05 AFC Championship game, and you had said you didn't think so. That fans had learned their lesson from what happened in Boulder with the University of Colorado and all of those Nebraska fans that showed up, and then at at the end of the day, which is a fun cliche. It ended up being that Bronco fans sold their tickets to Bears fans, and there were just as many Bears fans there, according to some people, as there were Bronco fans. Are are we mad at Broncos country for not holding on to their tickets? No, because I, I think they've realized what the product has been the last three years. And I even though that there was excitement for Vic Fangio, and I think there still is, until the product is better on the field, I I don't hold it against them, especially if you have someone who's willing to pay for them, and you could potentially make a little bit more. I why not? Yeah, I mean you have to you have to be able to to make that determination for yourself. If you've got the tickets and you don't want to go watch your team lose, you don't have to hold on to them. You can you can let go of those tickets and let somebody else grab them. You know, and if it happens to be somebody who is a Bears fan or a fan of the other team, then so be it. I think the other thing that plays into that, and this is maybe a, a discussion for another day, but the way that they do ticketing now, it's not paper tickets. So when you sell your tickets to somebody, you don't know who you're selling them to. 
A lot of the time it goes into an exchange or something like that. So without paper tickets and without knowing who you're giving your tickets to, you have no idea who's buying them. So that also, I think, plays into it. So there you go. And I think, it, like, I, like I said, it, it all ties back to the product on the field. And I, I don't hold it against people for not wanting to watch it. I mean, until they can prove that they are better and the product is better and they're going to win games, why not make a little bit of money? Yeah. And people vote with their wallets, right? People, people show their displeasure with their wallets. And that's just how that works. But let's go ahead and go back to my schedule discussion here. Remember, we gave the Broncos the win against the Jaguars. That was nice of us. Uh, I I did not give them a win against the Chargers, even though it's a a home game on the road. I don't think they beat the Titans. I don't think they beat the Chiefs. I don't think they beat the Colts on the road. I don't think they beat the Browns at home. I don't think they go to Minnesota and beat the Vikings. I don't think they travel to Buffalo and get a win. I'll give them the win against the Chargers at home in December. That's a tough one. Uh, I don't give them the win against the Texans. I don't think they beat the Chiefs on the road in December. That because nobody does. Uh, I, I think they could beat the Lions at home. Sure, right? Okay. I think they beat the Raiders at home at the end of the season. Why not? I, I think if you wanted to add in a win, I think this is the one win that that you sort of convinced me of. It was that Tennessee game because of all the ceremonies that are going on. There's your four. I found four wins. That's that's the that's the ceiling right now. And I think it's the ceiling based on the product that we've seen on the field up to this point, the first two games of the season. Based on the, the performance we've seen as as fans, as thing that what we have watched, I think your ceiling is four wins this season. And that's that's a far cry from my preseason prediction of ten and six in a playoff berth. And to remind the listeners, the week six game against the Tennessee Titans is going to be when Champ Bailey is inducted into the Ring of Fame. And that's when Champ gets his Hall of Fame ring and the Bolin family gets Pat Bolin's uh, Hall of Fame ring. So that that's why I think that there will be a lot of emotion in the building and in, in the stadium for that game. And I think it's going to be something that will hopefully fire up the Broncos, give them an advantage, so to speak, because as athletes at every level, any advantage you can get, you'll try to get it. So I I think the fact that Champ Bailey is going to be inducted into the Ring of Fame and you're going to be honoring both him and Pat Bolin, it's going to be a powerful scene. So I think – I do think that they're going to beat Tennessee. I think – and you touched on this at the end of – your spiel is it's based on what we see right now and what we see right now is I I think we touched on this after the the Raiders game is that it's not just a coaching staff I think it's a team that's trying to find its footing that it's still trying to figure things out and I think that's to be expected after two games with a new system with new coaches It's all brand new. No matter how much practice reps you get, even if you're doing it in the preseason, it's still the preseason. It's going to take time to get everyone on the same page. And I think that's the one reason I think that things could turn around over the course of the season, because I do think Vic Fangio and this coaching staff is that good. 
it's just a matter of will they be able to do it? And I think the key stat to look at as to why they lost to the Chicago Bears on Sunday, and it's not because of the roughing the passer penalty to Bradley Chubb. It's not because of giving up the fourth and 15 to Mitch Trubisky, finding Allen Robinson over the middle on a fourth and 15. Somehow Robinson is wide open. The key stat for me is that is the Broncos offense had 27 first downs and only scored 14 points. That shows me you're moving the ball, but when you get inside the 20, it's like you completely forget how to play football and what was doing well. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, it's funny because you say that and the mathematician in me, which isn't very good at math, goes, that's half as many points as first downs. And I, I, a little bit more than half, I guess. That's not uh, that's not a recipe for success. And so they they need to figure out a way, like you said, to, to turn things around. It, it's one of those problems that this team has. And, and you just mentioned something that I think is important. As of right now, right, the prediction of four wins from, from here on out. As of right now, right, the team that the way that it's constituted and the way that they're playing, a team that is still learning the system, a team that is still adjusting to the head coach, a brand new head coach who is adjusting to being a head coach. Those are all factors that should probably tell us all to maybe not hold on to too much as far as expectations for 2019, but instead look forward to 2020, 2021, and sort of see where the team is going to go from there. That being said, and I, and you started to sort of touch on it, as they get better in this season, their odds of winning all of those games that I just went through and couldn't find a win for increase. And so as we went through it before we recorded before, I think I ended up adding, I think it was three wins to the four that I had found, which means as they are constituted now, if they can improve and get better over the course of the season, they might find an extra three wins somewhere. The ball bounces their way. They get lucky. They don't face a, a you know a team that ends up getting uh, you know a roughing the passer penalty that helps them get closer to to kicking a field goal. You know those little little variables that happen here and there that you can't control. But, you know you can't control bad officiating, as as Fangio said. Then you could maybe add three more wins. If you add those three wins, I think the Broncos' ceiling is seven. Again, a far cry from my ten and six and uh, playoff berth. Yikes. So basically what you're saying is Broncos country is going to have to hold one another. Yes. You're just going to have to hold on to each other. You're going to have to loosely grab onto each other and, and remember that we're all together in this and just big old bear hug it until well, I don't like bear hug there. That's rough because we just got done losing to the bears or but whatever. Just, just don't let go. Never let go. That's, that's the key, right? Just like Garrett Bowles. That's right. Just like Garrett Bowles. And and so it does actually take us to the game preview for the game against the Packers because we do have to look at that game. That is what's coming up next in Lambeau. Uh, you know, uh, one of the the meccas we we talked about trying to get out there and schedules just didn't work out this year. My fault. Um, but but let's go ahead and get into it. And 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 just so you're aware, if you're if you're curious not one of the four wins on my list of four. So I think that may have given away my game prediction there, but uh, yeah, not one of my four wins. 
And it, I, in my prediction for the season at nine and seven, I did not have them beating the Packers because to give fans an idea, this will be the 14th meeting between the Broncos and Packers all time. The Broncos record in those games is six, six and one at home. They're six and one at Lambeau field. The Broncos are Oh five and one. So you're the Broncos saying have never won. Maybe a Lambeau tie field. Maybe a tie. Huh? Maybe a well, tie. That's the one. That's the one thing that they've been able to get. And it happened at Milwaukee County Stadium. Oh, so, so long ago. In 1987, on September 20th, 1717. <laughs> well, that's not happening. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, not to not to rain on your parade, but I don't think that's happening. So why don't we why don't we do this? Let's jump into keys to the game first. Let's go ahead and and get those out there. I'll start with mine. I, I don't think there's any um, any surprise here. It has to do with the defense and getting to the quarterback. the The issue that you talked about with Von Miller not get not getting home and Bradley Chubb not not getting a sack and, and the defense not getting any sacks. I think that has to be fixed if they're going to be able to hang with the green Bay Packers, but the, the real change has to be the push has to come from the middle, right? There has to be some push up front from Derek Wolf and Shelby Harris and Adam Gotsis and everybody else who rotates in there. They've got to get Aaron Rodgers off his spot. That's something that has to happen as well. And and I think the biggest issue, and, and I've seen people talk about this on Twitter and, and I think maybe it was Scotty or I think you mentioned it as well in Slack about how much time, I think Mace mentioned it as, as well on Twitter, the, the that the Broncos have to get to the quarterback. I think Mitch Trubisky was average, averaging less than two seconds at one point from the time the ball was snapped to the time he got the throw off, which tells you that there is a, there is a recipe for beating that Broncos defense. And so they have to get some sort of push up the middle off the ball so that if, if nothing else, they can at least get their hands up in the air and disrupt what's going on. So for me, the key to the game is the defensive line and the edge rushers have to eventually get to the quarterback. And one thing that will help with that, and it's actually my key to the game, is the run defense has to show up. I mentioned this on Sunday after the game for the postgame podcast. For the second week in a row, the Broncos' defensive line was manhandled by the opposing offensive line. The Raiders and the Bears have absolutely manhandled the Denver Broncos' defensive line. Bully Shelby him. Harris, Derek Wolf, Adam Gotsis, all Draymond Jones, all those guys have been dreadful in the run game and stopping it. Against the Bears on Sunday, the Broncos allowed 153 yards on 29 rushing attempts. That's 5.3 yards per attempt. And I get it. A, a large portion of that came from Cordero Patterson's 46-yard run. But I don't think anyone would argue that the Broncos have done anything to slow down the opposing rushing attack the first two weeks of the season. That has to change against the Packers on Sunday because if you take away the rushing game for the Packers – and you make Aaron Rodgers one-dimensional, we've seen what a version of this defense can do 
because it was after the bye in 2015 when everyone thought that this could be a potential Super Bowl matchup of Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning, and the Broncos absolutely manhandled the Packers at home on Sunday night football. The best way to do that and the best way for your key to the game to happen is to take away the rushing attack of the Packers. Make them a one-dimensional football team. Yeah, that's a I like that. If you can if if they can do that, I think they can actually, you know, lose this game by a field goal. <laughs> I just don't see a win, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying, but it's not working out. Um so all right, those are our keys to the game. Who's your player to watch? Do you have a uh let's go offense first. I'm gonna go with Joe Flacco. I I wanna see him build off of what he was able to do at the end of the game against the Bears when he threw that those two great passes to Emmanuel Sanders for the touchdown and the two-point conversion. I want to see the offense build off of that. I want to see if they can finally solve these red zone issues, and hopefully that's the way they do it, where they can look at that and say, okay, we've done it. Now let's do it against Green Bay. Because I think they're going to be able to move the ball against the Packers. I really do. It's just a matter of can you convert it once you get inside the 20? Because that's how you win in the National Football League is on third down and in the red zone. And neither of them have been good. No, no, they haven't. That is that is very true. I'm going to actually go with a, a fairly obvious player to watch as well. And we've talked about him already. And I, I guess I just can't let go of it, but I'm going to I'm gonna say Garrett Bowles. And the reason I'm going to say Garrett Bowles, and, and I know that seems like a, a cliche and a cop-out, but really, if this is if, if the Bears game was his worst game, if that was his turning point, and I, I'd like to think that maybe this is something that we can look back on in, in a couple of years and go, you know, that, that game against the Chicago Bears in 2019 when Garrett Bowles had four holding calls and he just looked inept and – like, like, you know, sort of feckless out there. That was his turning point, and he turned into, after that, a, a really good tackle. Maybe that's the turning point. Maybe that's the moment. So if he comes back against the Packers, and maybe he only has one holding penalty, and he's able to protect Joe Flacco, and the run game is successful with him, that would be great. And so I think this is a game to watch for Garrett, to watch Garrett Bowles because this is the type of game that he should bounce back in. If you're a professional athlete, if you're really a football player, you're going to go in, you're going to get in the in the tape, into the tape, you're going to you're going to watch what you did wrong, you're going to get with your your offensive line coach in uh, Mike Munchak and you're going to you're going to go over all of the things that you can change so that you can be a successful offensive lineman. And if not, then this is the game that's going to prove that you're just a feckless, ineffectual non-football player, big bully guy that happened to ride his weight and his height and his strength to the NFL, which good for him. He was able to make that work, but he's not going to be a successful football player at that point. And that is really, I think, why he's the player to watch because this is the game after such a horrible performance against the Bears that he's going to prove whether or not he can turn things around or if it really is time to cut bait. And for our listeners who didn't see it, Emmanuel Sanders spoke to the media on Tuesday. And the Broncos receiver was asked about Garrett Bowles. And the question was, 
on how the offensive players can support Garrett Bowles. And Emmanuel Sanders said this, at the end of the day, we're all band of brothers. Obviously, I'm going to keep trying to talk to Bowles and see if we can get him right and understanding what he's doing wrong. Because obviously, to say that he'll he'll been all right is not okay. He needs to understand that he is doing something wrong because they keep throwing the flags on him and he keeps holding. I'm going to talk to him and hopefully we keep breaking down the film and just see him make that jump and get that debt off his back because it's been happening for like two or three years on if he talks to Bulls mid-game before. I've talked to him. Everybody's trying to talk to him. We'll see. So to bring up your point, (laughs) it's not just the players who have taken notice now because he's now costing this team, and he has been costing this team, and they're getting sick and tired of it. So it's not just the fans who are growing tired of Garrett Bowles' holding act. His teammates are. So if he doesn't do it on Sunday, if he has another repeat performance, I'm not holding out hope. No. Broncos country shouldn't hold out hope. Don't hold on loosely. Yeah, you got to let go. You got to let go. I'm just saying, you got to let go. 84 years. Um, I mean, that quote from Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, I was just going to say. It's powerful. Well, and it's 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 a guy who let's let's face it, Emmanuel Sanders is a leader in that locker room. He's a leader on that offense. He's a veteran player. He knows his time is 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 only getting shorter. And to have a guy like Garrett Bowles pretty much destroy a game for you. And and, and I know that that seems unfair because it was just four holding penalties, but it really was they were drive killers. And Maybe maybe he's only killing drives that are going to produce field goals because that's the way the offense has been since you know since the season started. But those are still field goals, and if they if on those four uh, you know those four penalties they had converted those drives into field goals or whatever, maybe we're talking about a different game scenario here. So it, it is it it is a strong indictment from Emmanuel Sanders about not just how good Garrett Bowles is but how receptive he is to criticism and his believing that he can change. And, and I'll tell you, listening to the things that he said afterwards about, I don't know why they're coming after me. I don't know why they keep calling holding calls. Garrett, it's because you're holding. And so stop doing that. I, I would love to hear from an offensive lineman about his hand placement because I, I feel like, and, and I, I'd be curious to know like maybe what a Matt McChesney says and, and or or even stink. I don't I don't think he ever talked about this, but it feels like when Garrett Bowles is is starting his play, the, the ball gets snapped and his arms go out rather than come in. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you yeah. want to get inside the the defensive lineman across from you, and I feel like his first motion is to bring his arms out. And once you get your arms outside, you can't get them back in, and so now you're all you can do is hold instead of bringing your hands up in the middle and I'm not a I'm not an offensive lineman I'll bet Joe Joe could tell us Joe M he's he's a, a former offensive lineman I would love to hear what he has to say about that because it just feels like it's it's the way he initiates contact that is causing him to hold I think it's a complete lack of awareness when he's saying that he doesn't know why they're throwing the flag on him he's been holding for three years I don't think he's stopped holding I think it's been one three-year hold So hold me closer, Tiny Dancer needs to be hold me closer, Garrett Bowles. 
And the fact that he doesn't get it, like I said, is a complete lack of self-awareness. Yeah, he's. I'm. I'm done with him. All right, let's let's move on. Let's let's go to something happier. Let's go with defensive players to watch. I'm gonna go with Von Miller. I I think it's time for him to. As we had our little back and forth, sure. After the Bears game, you call it an argument if you want. We, we it, argued a little. It, it's time to step up. It's time to be. It's time to be Von Miller. And what better time to do it than against Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field? Yeah, and I think and just to sort of play off that a little bit, Von Miller came out and said it was time to step up and be Von Miller. So uh, sort of the opposite of of Garrett Bowles, Von Miller came out and said I need to I need to play better. Whereas Garrett Bowles came out and said I don't know what I'm doing wrong. So I like Von Miller's approach to that better than Garrett Bowles. But I'm not I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to hold on to that. My defensive player to watch, it has to it has to be based on my keys to the game. It has to be Shelby Harris. I would I haven't seen him impact the game at all. And one of the things that we saw in the preseason was that he did look like he was going to be somebody who was who was going to demand a big contract at some point. As of right now, I forgot he's on the team because he hasn't been having an impact on games, and so. He's my player to watch just to see if he can actually turn things around. And then I'm going to throw another one at you, Justin Simmons. He he might be the best defensive player for the Broncos so far. Uh, in that game against the Bears, he had some incredible plays. Those two uh, pass breakups were, were unbelievable. And Justin Simmons is really coming into his own as a safety on this defense. So if you, if you want to smile, and I hope I didn't jinx him here, He's been somebody to watch just because it's been a joy to watch him play. I'm going to add two guys who could potentially be making their debuts for the Broncos defense in terms of the regular season. And that's Todd Davis at middle linebacker and Bryce Callahan at cornerback. And Brandon Cristal with KOA actually said on the air on Tuesday night that Callahan could potentially need foot surgery. So that's something to keep an eye on as the injury report starts to come out on Wednesday because that's the first day of the injury report. If he's a, if he's a DNP on Wednesday and did not participate, it's probably not ideal for him to be playing on Sunday. Although Fangio said on Monday that both Davis and Callahan were looking to be playing on Sunday. So unless something has changed – Keep an eye on Bryce Callahan and whether or not he's able to participate in practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because if he's a DNP on Wednesday, it's probably not a good sign for him playing on Sunday against the Packers. Yeah, I, I, that's actually an interesting one. And, and one of the things I, I think I saw uh, somebody was talking about, I think it might have been in Slack, it might have been one of the guys uh, from Mile High Report. It's the same surgery that he might need that he already had on the same foot. And so it's that's kind of one of those frustrating situations where – you had the surgery, now you have to have the same surgery because things aren't either healing properly or they didn't get fixed right the first time. This is this has perhaps been the most frustrating thing for the defense as far as the new acquisition because he's he's the one who came in that was going to have the best understanding of Vic Fangio's defense, and, and he's not out there to really, you know, have an impact in that way, which is which has been frustrating. Um, What's frustrating is. We know that Elway has 
a complete lack of ability to get offensive linemen or middle linebackers or a quarterback. The other thing that he seems to attract in Denver is injured players. <laughs> yeah, broken free agents. Yeah, that's getting old. Let's stop getting that. That's <laughs> getting old. Juwan James, for example, is, a, is another name that, that pops into your mind when you, when you say something like that. Um, all right, let's let's do a bold prediction. Let's, we we I think we did one week one. I think we might have skipped it week two. Let's do a bold prediction for our, our week three matchup against the Packers. What is a what is something that you think might happen in this game that would be a, a shock or, or a surprise? The Broncos get a sack. <laughs> Which All is right. funny because my bold prediction for the season was that the Broncos may compete with the 1984 Bears for the all-time sack record. Well, that obviously got flushed down the toilet. So, so we're done with that one. <laughs> that bold. So now my bold done. prediction is to just get a sack. A I sack. think they, I think they get a sack. I'm not saying multiple sacks. They won't need a know, sack rack, right? <laughs> I, I'm not going crazy. I'm not saying they're going to get plural. I think they're just going to get a sack. Let yeah. Let, let let's just let's just go for one right now. Um, I'm gonna go on the offensive side of the ball. I'm gonna make a bold prediction that Garrett Bowles only has two holding penalties called against him in the entire game, just two. So not great, but not as bad as against the Bears. And but still awful. Still awful. Right. Still awful. Still awful. Uh, do you have a, a prediction for the, the score? A score prediction. I'm going to go with 18-15 uh, Packers. Ooh, that's a that's a field goal fest right there. Field goal fest. All right, I like that. I'm a I'm going to go a little bit different. 34-17 Packers. I think the Packers are able to put a lot of points on the board, and I actually think they probably get a defensive touchdown. Not that I enjoy saying that, but I think their defense is pretty good, and so they're going to end up uh, with a defensive touchdown. That's that's my guess. Is it going to be a handoff and Garrett Bowles isn't able to hold on to the football? Perhaps. Although if, if you're handing the ball off to Garrett Bowles, you're doing something wrong. That would Why be, not? He holds everything else. That would be he's, the only thing he could able to hold on to the football. That would be the only thing he wouldn't be able to hold on to. And so maybe that's what you do is you put a football in his hands and then, then he goes and blocks. So that he can't hold into, onto anything except the football. Maybe that's the idea. All right, we're going to take a, just a quick break, and uh, then we'll come back to talk about a couple extra things. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we're back. And I wanted to go ahead and jump into kind of an interesting conversation that plays off of the conversation we had about the Denver Broncos schedule. Because in the NFL right now, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is players playing for bad teams or not liking the situation that they're in. They start demanding trades. You know, you got the... Jalen Ramsey demanding a trade. Minka Fitzpatrick demanded a trade and was sent from the Dolphins to the to the Steelers. Uh, this, the Dolphins are apparently in fire sale mode anyway, and so they're trading away anything and everything for picks. But the, the conversation becomes interesting when you look at the Denver Broncos schedule and 
you start to get into that conversation about, you know, in baseball, you get about halfway through the season and you start to talk about which teams are buyers and which teams are sellers, which teams believe they have a shot at the playoffs and just need one or two guys to help them make the playoff push and which teams are just resigned to the fact that they're not going to make the playoffs they're not going to be any good. So how can they get the most value for the players that they have? And so the question becomes at what point or do the Broncos ever really get to a point where they become buyers or sellers and, and based on, what we talked about with the schedule, I don't see them being buyers, but at what point do they maybe become sellers? That That is kind of an interesting direction to go there. What's fascinating about it is anytime a player is reported to be available, it seems Broncos country is automatically a buyer. They want him. And I sent out a tweet to nip that in the bud on Tuesday when it was announced the New York Giants we're making the switch from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones. And I just sent out a tweet that said, no, because I knew it was going to come at some point. And I I'm sure it may have happened on one Oh four, three FM at some point where they're like, why the Broncos need to go after Eli Manning up next on the fan. And they need another backup quarterback. So I, I try to nip that in the bud, but it's always fascinating because Broncos fans want every player who becomes available. But that goes against everything that John Elway has done as GM of the Broncos. Elway is a buyer, but he's a buyer in free agency. He's never been a buyer at the trade deadline. So where I see it coming into, into fruition and how it how it could play out, as, as you mentioned it, is if the season just goes to complete crap, do they start trading off the veteran assets that they could potentially lose in the offseason? So you want to get something in return instead of just letting them go for nothing. And I and I get it. If they potentially lose them, they could get a compensatory draft pick. But if you can get more than that, why not try to get more for that? And I'm looking directly at Chris Harris Jr. and Emmanuel Sanders, and especially the way Emmanuel Sanders has started off the season coming off an Achilles tear. So I think if, if the Broncos are, let's say they – are in week seven and they're what one and six, which I is absolutely, possible. I, I think they would be dumb to not try to get uh draft capital. There's that, there's that word for the veteran assets. They could potentially be losing anyway, but only if it's more than the compensatory pick that they would be getting if they lose them in free agency. Right. I think that one of the things Elway has shown is that he, he doesn't do the splashy moves when it comes to trades in the season. I think didn't he trade for Matt Lacoste a couple of years and they traded Demarius Thomas last year and some of those things happened, but John Elway isn't going to make a splashy move. He wasn't going to trade for Laramie Tunsil. He wasn't going to go get Minka Fitzpatrick. He's not going to trade for Jalen Ramsey. The the He's the big, not going to trade for Trent Williams. No, Trent Williams is off the table. he's so off the table I didn't even mention it. So the the idea of, of John Elway being a, a buyer is is I think it's just so far gone just because of how this team is not going to be in a position to make the playoffs anyway. But a seller, I think absolutely, and I think you've made a very good point, the The market is also being set right now. If Minka Fitzpatrick went for a, a first-round pick and Jalen Ramsey goes for a first-round pick, then Chris Harris Jr. should go for a first- or a second-round pick. Emmanuel Sanders should go for a, a second- or a third-round pick. I, I mean, you you can kind of see the market being set 
by some of these other players who are demanding trades and then being traded. So perhaps one of the things that John Elway is doing, and, and maybe not intentionally, but one of the things he can do is he can sit and wait and see where the market goes and then kind of make trade demands based off of the, the market that's set for these players. I, I don't know if Chris Harris Jr. garners a first-round pick. Maybe I'm biased because I think he does, but um, that would be a, a sort of an interesting thing to see happen if John Elway is, is just, just waiting, right? Just waiting to see where the market goes and then sort of sending sending out the feelers to see who might be interested in some of those veteran players. What will be interesting for the fans to pay attention to is where some of these players end up. We saw where Mika Fitzpatrick ended up with the Steelers. Where does Jalen Ramsey end up? Because I think the worst case scenario is Kansas City. Because I just don't want the Chiefs to ever win. I don't want them to ever win the trophy named after their owner. But I also don't want him to end up in Oakland. Because I think a player like that can turn around a defense in Oakland because look at the things that you need to build in the NFL. You build around a quarterback, you build around a left tackle, you build around defensive line, usually edge, and then a cornerback. Good thing they traded Khalil Mack because they don't have the edge anymore, but they have the left tackle. They may have the quarterback, and then they have a cornerback in Jalen Ramsey. That's the beginnings of something there. But like I said, at least they traded Khalil Mack to Chicago. <laughs> that helps. That definitely does help. Uh, yeah, I, I think that as far as the trades go, I, I don't want any of those players to end up in the AFC West at all, even even in Los Angeles with the Chargers, who are only any good during the, the preseason anyway. So that would be ideal is to have them traded somewhere else, especially Jalen Ramsey, who I, I think you're right can be – can be very good, can be very, very good with any of those teams. Uh, speaking of the AFC West, um, we should probably look at the schedule for, for the rest of the week as far as the AFC West goes, just to kind of see what's happening, maybe see what interesting games are out there. Uh, I, I went ahead and pulled up the schedule. Ravens at the Chiefs is maybe the most interesting game uh, on the schedule, just in general, because I can't wait to see what Lamar Jackson does against that Kansas City defense, but the game is in Kansas City. I think the good thing for Baltimore that it's early in the season because for whatever reason, teams just don't play well in Arrowhead in December against the Chiefs. It's just, it's crazy. So I think the good thing for Baltimore is they played the Chiefs last year and I it was a, a crazy finish last year where it looked like the Ravens were actually going to win. And then Patrick Mahomes had some magic in him and found a way to get the win. So I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be fun to watch Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes go at it. I think the only team who has a defense in that game is Baltimore, and especially Ed Reed. I want to see what Ed Reed's able to do against Patrick Mahomes. That right, Ed Reed, Earl Thomas. I was like, Ed Reed? Did we go back in time? <laughs> I, was, I was trying to decide if I should interrupt you there, and I was like, no, no, I'm going to let him go for just a little while. He'll he'll hear it. He heard I, it. I, I caught it. But caught that's, it. How good, that's how good Earl Thomas is. That's and right. That's what's, true. What's really going to piss off Broncos fans is the Broncos could have had both of them. Yeah, don't don't, why don't don't even bring that up. Like it just like the, just avoid that whole conversation. Just leave us alone. It's not necessary. We'll we'll be fine. Um. 
The other, but the other I, I really, yeah. I really want to see Earl Thomas against Patrick Mahomes because I think Earl Thomas is is the best safety in football, and he's playing on a defense that is a great fit for him. And I, I think it'll be an interesting matchup to have uh, to see what a young quarterback, a quarterback, is able to do against a very good safety in Ed Reed. Or, there we go again. See, and Earl, Earl Thomas. Thomas. There you go. His name is Earl Thomas, and and the. I don't think he would be insulted if you confused him with Ed Reed. I think he'd take that as a compliment. Uh, I'm excited for that game because I have Lamar Jackson as my quarterback and my fan. I'm on my fantasy football teams, and I'd like to see how many points he can score against that Kansas City defense. I think it could be a lot, uh, or it could be very little. And I suppose those are the two options anytime you have a quarterback going up against any defense. But that I I think would be an interesting one to watch as well. And I will tell you, Broncos country could have had Lamar Jackson as their quarterback, and he was somebody who I advocated for during that draft and should have known better. There was no way the Broncos were going to draft him. They don't want a running quarterback. They want the typical prototype passer. So that being said, we'll go ahead and and we'll just leave that there and move on. Uh, The Raiders play the Vikings. That's like an old-school uh, matchup, right? Raiders, Vikings. I think that was a Super Bowl once a long a time ago before in the seventies. Yeah. Before, before anybody really cared. Um, I, I think and the Vikings win that. The Vikings were relevant. Yeah. It was the last time the Vikings were relevant. And, and I think the Vikings win this game. So I don't, I, and I actually don't think it'll be close. No, I, th- I really I th- don't. I think Dalvin cook is, is going to go off again. He's having an incredible start to his year. And so I think, I think Kirk cousins and, and, uh, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs kind of get on the same page a little bit. And I think they have some success against the Raiders. I think the reason that they'll have success is because Mike Zimmer is going to have a defense that's going to just destroy Derek Carr. Well, I hope somebody does because it, it's just terrible that he's been successful this year. The other game in the AFC West to talk about is the uh, the Chargers hosting the Texans. And uh, the, to me, that game is a, is a pick em. It feels like a, a toss-up game between either either team, or do you think one team has the advantage over the other? I think Houston has the advantage just because I don't think the Chargers have the defense to slow down DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson. And I get it that they have the path, the pass rushers and Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, but I, I just I don't think that they have the playmakers in the linebacker or secondary group to slow down. DeAndre Hopkins. And if if the Texans are able to protect Watson and he's able to to do what he did against the Saints, I th- I think the Texans are going to be able to win this football game. And it, it's obviously going to be a Houston home game because there's going to be more Texans fans there. And I don't know if the if the Chargers offensive line has the ability to to block JJ Watt. I, I just I don't know if they have the guy is capable of doing what it's going to take to keep J.J. Watt from destroying Phillip Rivers. And I, I just I, I don't have faith in the Chargers. I, But we'll see. that They may come out and surprise people and, and win this road game in, in their home stadium. But I, 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 I do think Houston's going to be able to come out of this game with a win. Yeah, I, and like I said, I, I sort of see it as a pick em, so I suppose that is – in this case, it is advantage Houston because they're on the road, and I'm I see it as a pick'em game. So I I would have to say that I probably am leaning towards Houston winning that game, but I could see it going either way just just because of what uh, the you know what the Chargers are are capable of. They do have 
some explosiveness on both sides of the football. And then for me, the other two teams to keep an eye on, because aside from Kansas City, I think the two best teams in football right now are the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots. And I think with with the Patriots adding Antonio Brown, that offense just gets more dangerous and more difficult to slow down. And you never really know with the Patriots because their schedule is always so easy and it helps to play six games against three bad football teams. But as we both said in the season preview podcast, until someone beats the champs, Patriots are the champs. And right now I think they're the best team in the AFC. And I don't see that that changing anytime soon. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.